You're listening to the Essential Stepmom Podcast. Unconventional advice and inspiration on the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. I'm Tracy Poisner, mom of one, stepmom of three. I woke up one day after more than 10 years of step parenting challenges like alienation, loyalty, high conflict, and long distances, and found myself standing in what appeared to be the actual light at the end of the tunnel. This podcast is my way of shining that light back over my shoulder so you and all the others can find your way here too. If you want more of what you hear on this podcast, connect with me at EssentialStepMom.com where you'll find my blog, podcast show notes, and other stepmom-related resources. This episode with Lori Wilkins Sims was recorded originally as a live stream video on Facebook. So the sound quality is not awesome. I hope you'll bear with us, but um, I hope you'll get as much of a charge out of her as I do. This is great. I, Lori and I met the first time online last year sometime, and we have such a good time talking together. We're going to have to like keep this rolling or you'll be here all day with us because we can't get off the phone when we talk. But start off, please, and tell everybody a quick version of your story, because you have an amazing story. I think the quick version, or the Reader's Digest version, is um, David and I met, and we weren't really either one looking for a relationship, but of course, you know, that changed. And he had four kids, and I had one. His kids were a little bit older than mine. He had triplets that were nine and a 10-year-old, and my little boy at the time was four. And we had researched. What, you were dating a man with four boys between the I mean, ages of nine and ten. Well, I didn't mean to fall in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were just having fun, and then you know, next thing you know, um, yeah, that was crazy in itself. I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. And then we, um, you know, when we decided that things were going to where we were getting serious in our relationship and started talking about getting married, then we decided to do research. You know, we read, well, I read and told David what I read, everything we could. He talked to people he knew that had been in the blended families. And so we thought we were prepared. You know, we we were like, oh yeah, we're good. And we read that, or I read again, that it takes about eight years to blend. And we're like, ah, we got this. We got two years max, you know just cutting up about it. And two, year two, things went to crap. I mean, I'm talking, it was horrible. I hated being here. The kids hated me. I didn't, I, I didn't like them at all. Um, David felt stuck in the middle. It, we were just miserable. And we didn't know what to do. And we finally had went to a counselor that we actually went to before we got married to do our research, you know, and when we went back to him, all he kept telling me was, they are not your kids. And it hurt my feelings a little bit because I care about them, you know. And that's everything he would say to me is, they are not your kids. And I would say, but I love them or I care about them. I don't want them to grow up and be unproductive adults. And he'd go, they are not your kids. And I'm thinking, okay, man, I get it, whatever. And we left and I was making fun of the counselor because that's all he said to me the whole time, like 800 times, it seemed like. And it hit me, you know, we were cutting up and I said, they are not your kids. And we just kind of laughed. Well, it broke the tension. 
And then it hit me. I swear it was like a ray of sunshine from heaven coming down. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm creating my own misery. Why am I doing this to myself? You know, I can love them, but I can't expect more from them than their parents do. I can't jump in and be a parent because I haven't bonded with them. So everything that we have researched and learned that we should do bit us in the butt. And, you know, thankfully, before we got divorced, we went to this counselor and, you know, that was the enlightening moment. It just helped us to be able to say, okay, let's try this. It's worth a try. I mean, you know, what else are we going to do? There's your options. And um, it took a while. It it wasn't easy. I'm very outspoken. And for me to keep my mouth shut, oh, Lord, have mercy. It was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love about you. This is so great, you know. And, And I love that that Nacho Kids is, I think this is the main thing that people don't understand who have a problem with it. This is you poking fun at yourself. You're not making fun of the kids, right? No. Like, this is what we need to do. We need to find a way to pop pop your own bubble and find a way to to, um, find some lightness in this. And, you know, the revelation, like you're saying, it's like, at first you you know somebody told you that a lot of times and you took it the wrong way just like just like a lot of women do online who say that's not me i i'm not, i don't want to dislike them i don't want to cut them out of my life i don't want to ignore them or be mean to them or it's none of that right right it's like it's happening inside your own head it's an attitude adjustment it is and, and- one of the things that we tell people is treat them as you would a friend's kid. You're not going to be mean to a friend's kid, but you're not going to jump in and parent that kid. And yes, you know, everybody's got a friend that they do parent their kids for them. <laughs> I've, I've got a few myself, but for the most part, you don't parent other people's kids. And you've got to bond with these kids and it's not being mean to them. It's not necessarily ignoring them as much as it's ignoring the conflict that may arise or not engaging in the conflict. For instance, if the kids came in for our week, you know, in the beginning, um, we had them like 11 out of 14 days. And ironically, year two is when it shifted to 50-50, which is when the problem started. Hmm, Makes you think. And when they would come in, I'd say, hey, and they wouldn't respond to me, it'd make me mad. It'd make me mad because I thought it was disrespectful, but it also hurt my feelings. Nobody likes to be ignored. So I realized, yeah. okay, I'm setting myself up for disappointment. So when they now when they would come in, I just, I wouldn't say anything. And it took a full year probably of me completely disengaging. And when I say that, if they asked me something, my response was, go ask your dad most of the time, or if it was, you know, can you hand me something? Yeah, I handed it to them. It wasn't go ask your dad for that. You know, you've got to use common sense, but you also have to realize what your triggers are. You have to avoid those triggers. You have to, if you can't avoid them, you have to learn to cope with them differently. And again, something else that was hard for me because our minds are not our friends, you know, The kids come in and you're thinking, oh, yeah, there's some youngins, you know, or whatever. And even before they get there, a lot of people are stressed that the kids are coming. You know, come Wednesday, they're stressed about Friday. Stop doing that. 
you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You're anticipating something that may not happen. You've got to change your mindset. And remember that yeah. these kids and your husband, they're struggling too. There's a reason that 72% of blended families fail. Yeah. So that's what we're doing here, right? Like Lori and I are totally on the same page. More than 70% of blended families fail. And it could have been a family just like Lori's, like her family, who are now incredibly tight and, you know, love each other so much. And all of that potential could have been lost. And it didn't happen for you quick because you didn't, well, not because anything, because it takes time. It just takes time to, when you realize how to make the changes, it doesn't all happen overnight. And for Lori, you know, it, she said it took like a year of being pretty disengaged before she could get back. And the reward of it is incredible because you have a husband and four stepkids who love you. And, you know, you guys nearly lost all of that. So what we're talking about today is like recognizing the red flags that really, really need to be dealt with and how to distinguish that from the general up and down of life, you know, like shit happens. Like <laughs> I, I put something out, you know, shit happens, but resentment festers, like stuff yeah. can happen and okay. Like it's life, bad stuff happens, but resentment is something that we do to ourselves, you know, by not, by not addressing those things or by not putting our attention where it really needs to go. So what do you think? I mean, I'll, I'll, I want to let you talk first. What do you think about red flags? What do you make? One, thing, one thing I want to say about the resentment is we feed it ourselves, you know, and again, it's changing your mindset. And honestly, that's what took so long for me to be ready to re-engage. We all had to get over the resentment, the anger and the hurt. And it is true. Hurt people hurt people, whether you realize it or not. You know, if I'm upset, it affects my whole family. You know, it could have nothing to do with them, but it still impacts everybody. And one of the main things that I've realized through this is, and I didn't like to admit it, but at first I felt like, why was I the only one that had to change? Well, you know, because then you think, well, I'm not the problem. Nobody wants to be the problem, but I was. My actions were the problem. My not understanding everything was the problem. You know, my not thinking and stepping back and say, you know what? When I tell the kids to brush their teeth, they're like, who are you to tell me to brush my teeth? When really their dad should be telling them, you, you know, so the resentment and the hurt and the anger, you have to rebuild from that. And you can't do that if you're slap up in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. So <clears throat> I, what I, as I thought about this topic, you know, I wanted to say a couple of things that I think are um, actual red flags that, that need to be addressed or they are going to lead to a situation of burnout. And we're going to talk a little bit more about burnout at the end because I'm going to I'm going to tell you what I have coming down the pipe. But but step parent burnout is a real thing that, you know, lots of people are suffering from. And that's what leads you sort of close to the edge. Right. Where yes. where little things 
start to be the straw that broke the camel's back. So one thing is um, unaddressed disrespect yes. of the stepmom. So what do, you, what do you have to say about that? Um, I think a lot of it's perception. Now, there's blatant disrespect. You know, we see in the Facebook groups all the time of stepkids cussing other stepkids. If one of my stepkids would have cussed me, there's no doubt that David would have jumped in and been like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, number one, we don't talk like that. It's disrespectful to anybody. And secondly, you surely aren't going to talk to my wife like that. And with my kids, stepkids, it was more of just ignoring what I would tell them to do or the little, <laughs> you know, that little <laughs> that drives you crazy. Yeah. And when you're, if you're being cussed at by the stepkids, that's a red flag to me that your significant other has to do something because that is a unhealthy environment for you. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. We're... And honestly, yeah. I, if my kid cussed at me, I'd probably get arrested because I, my, my instinct would be probably to smack him in the face, <laughs> you know, and I know and I don't abuse my kid, <laughs> but you know, yeah. it's just, you don't do that. And it amazes me the families or the dads that don't address this problem. Yeah. Well, when their kid goes to at 16 and they cuss out their boss and lose their job. Don't wonder why, because you didn't make them stop acting like this. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that there is some level of a perception of being disrespected that that is a part that you you know, have to work on yourself. It has to do with your, maybe your expectations of uh, the, the relationship that you're going to have. But truly, if you are being, uh, you know, uh, a lot of women talk about the, um, you know, the kid who crosses their arms and rolls their eyes when you say something to them, or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it might not be actually, you know, cussing you, but they might be blatantly uh, disrespecting you as an adult in the home. And that has to be addressed. It's not okay. And I like to tell people that, you know, the approach is that um, exactly like you said, it's not, it's not good parenting to allow a child to think that it's okay to treat anybody like that. It's not good parenting. And mm -hmm. that's going to come around and bite you in the backside. Um, so if that is happening and you can't seem to get a handle on it, that's a red flag that, that needs to be addressed because that's going nowhere. Okay. You're just going to spend more years until you've had enough of it, but that, exactly. that enough is going to come. Right. And so yeah. don't waste time on that. That needs to be addressed. Well, and we have something to else being teenagers. I, I actually recall being a teenager and I was probably the worst kid and I'm getting the payback from my son. You know, it's true that your kids, you know, pay you back for you being a bad kid. And I mean, I remember crossing my arms and poking my lip out when I was probably three, you know, we won't even say teenager, but the thing is, is we cannot respond to it as a step parent, but the dad, if he keeps ignoring it, then yes, we need to bring it to his attention, not nag him to you know, address it, but just say, look, he's going to do that to somebody and it's either going to embarrass you or, you know, cause him to have problems with school, you know, is something that needs to be addressed. And the important thing is by the step parent stepping back, we allow the bio parent to see how their kid acts. 
when we jump in, that happens they, a lot, right? Yeah. When we jump in every five seconds, they can't see it. We distract them from the issue of their kid and it turns to us complaining about their kid. Yeah, that, no, that's it exactly. And we see that all the time in what women write who have had a good experience with backing up, disengaging, not chewing, whatever you want to call it, getting out of the way mm -hmm. that, you know, oh my goodness, you know, dad had to spend the whole weekend uh, with his kid acting up in this way because I wasn't there to entertain them like I usually do. And he totally got the picture. So, you know, that, that, that really works. Something yeah. else I wanted to talk about was an inability to form a good partnership. Um, uh, an inability to form a good partnership with, the, with, your, with your husband, your significant other, um, to say that, uh, well, yeah, that you are partners in this project and you are not either in a, a you're not in a parent-child kind of relationship with your spouse in either one direction or the other, right? That, um, so say something about that. I have to look for, somebody sent me a message. I'm going to try and find it here. A lot of times, um, to build that partnership within your marriage or your relationship, it does take stepping back from the parental role. And you have to change that focus to where you're focusing on your marriage. You can't focus on your marriage when you're focusing on the stepkids always doing something wrong. And you can't focus on your marriage when all you're doing is complaining about the stepkid because nobody, I don't care who they are, nobody likes to hear crap about their kid. It doesn't matter how true it is. It doesn't matter, you know, how you want to sugarcoat it. When you say something negative about somebody else's kid, the defense mechanisms kick up. It's natural. That's what, as a parent, we're supposed to do is protect our kids. And the bio parent feels like they're protecting their kid from the step parent. So you can't bond with somebody that you're getting mad at. So that's why you have to step back and realize that, look, our goal is not necessarily to blend as much as our goal is to work on our marriage, have a strong marriage, then let the blending happen naturally. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, um, I really struggle with the nacho as we have parented as if I was the other mom for the past 11 years, the full other mom, the kids were four and nine. Um, and now that we've read more, I truly have no idea how to stepmom, and it's always caused a lot of tension with my husband. I've always taken care of every meal, taken care of all their school stuff, um, and I, you know, really gave up my career to jump in as a parent. The resentment built up so much, and I feel like I sort of stopped everything for them, and now I want to focus on my own stuff. Um, and the support isn't there for that for me to do that. I love this conversation. Well, this goes, yes, this goes to your burnout. You know, you're talking about getting burnout. You know, nobody goes into a step parent role thinking, I'm not gonna have anything to do with these step kids. You know, they've got two parents, they don't need me. We don't think that way. And I don't know if it's just natural or the societally defined role that step parents feel like they should have that 
we come in all gung-ho. I'm going to cook for these kids. I'm going to help them get their grades better. You know, I'm going to do everything a traditional mom would do. And then what happens is you're sitting there and you're like, well, dad's not doing crap. Why am I the only one taking care of this kid? Why am I the only one stressed about this? And then that resentment builds up. And it's really hard to not jump into that role. But most of us do. And then what happens is we do get mad and we get resentful. And then we're like, I can't do this anymore. And we walk away. Well, that's not how you handle it. You know, you need to talk to your significant other. I suggest anybody that's considering getting into a blended relationship, first sit down and talk with each other about what your expectations are for each other in the step-parent role. You know, because a lot of times we just assume it's the, and that's not always, you know, what needs to happen or what always works. And a lot of people um, don't understand that you not show the things that cause you stress. So if you enjoy cooking dinner for the kids and they don't complain about your cooking and say, this looks like dog food, like mine did, then, <laughs> then keep cooking, you know, and... If you, if you can't, if the doing the laundry, you know, if it's just stresses you out because you've got 17 loads of laundry, nobody's helping you, then ask for help. If the kids are old enough to do it themselves, ask the dad, please help so-and-so learn to do their laundry because I've had enough. And you have to do it to the point of where you're not bashing their kids, you're not bashing their parenting, but you are asking for help. And really, it's sad because you shouldn't have to ask for help to raise somebody else's kid. Yeah. No, truthfully, I have to say I, I feel very lucky that, you know, it, of all the kinds of problems that I've experienced in my own growth as a stepmom, uh, it was never a problem for me. Uh, my husband is a very hands-on guy, and he had been the sort of chief cook and bottle washer in his original family. So mm -hmm. like I have never done their dishes. I've never done their laundry. I've never picked up after them. That That is his domain, it, really. So it's one of the things. Now, if anything, I might have thought, you know, I often say, you know, are you going to ask your kids to, you know, clean off the table or load the dishwasher or something? And he, he says, I, I don't like how they do it. I can do it faster. So, okay, whatever. I'm not responsible for teaching them those life lessons. If he wants to do it, it's totally his thing. And you know what? They have their own relationship together where it, it is a profoundly fundamental part of his parenting to nurture his kids in that way. And he's totally entitled to do it. And right. my idea, like, you know, of like, well, I had to load the dishwasher when I was growing up. Who cares? <laughs> my kids, you know? And I have to tell you, his kids are brilliant at cleaning. They didn't do it a lot here because we didn't demand it of them. But the one time that we went away for five days or something and left them home, and they were 18 and 19, and I said, I said, please, please don't leave a kitchen full of dirty dishes when we come back. Like, please don't do that to us. It's so disheartening to come home and, you know, the place is a disaster. And we walked in to our house. And honestly, you could eat off the floors. It had never been so clean. And, and I know it was my stepdaughter who did it. It wasn't her brother, but <laughs> she totally knows how to clean. It was impeccable. 
And she learned that from her dad by watching yeah. him do it. Mm -hmm. And so like, you know what I'm saying? Like part of the nurturing is that I, I want to do this for you, but I'm not worried about her not knowing how to do it. Right. And even if I were, it's none of my business. Exactly. Because that's, that's between them, right? So we're getting tons of comments from people who are loving this. So I'm really, really happy. And I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that some of you people, whoever, you know, if you're watching on the replay too, this is a, this is a shareable video. So, you know, share this, share it. You can just share the URL. If you double click on the, or right click on the video, it'll show you the URL, or you can find that from the address bar while you're watching the video and, uh, you know, pass this along to other people. I want to so, say we have the digits. Go. Um, we would have, David came up with a chore chart. You know, he, he wanted his kids to have some responsibility. Um, keep in mind when David and his first wife split up that the grandmother lives really close. So she kind of slid into that role of helping take care of the kids, the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry. I mean, everything. And so when I came in, I wasn't just fighting the stepmom role. I was fighting, you pushed mom all out kind of thing, you know? So there was a big, when we started, David came up with the list of rotating chores. Everybody had a chore every day. It was something simple, you know, do the dishes was one person, dust the living room was another person, you know, kind of thing. And when the kids were like, I think one of them was 17, David never made him do the dishes by himself. Now, this was recently, you know, a couple years ago. And I would sit there and think, what are you doing? Make him do those dishes by himself. He's quite capable. You know, I mean, and I would get mad. And I wouldn't say anything because, you know, I learned a nacho pretty good. And we were sitting here having a um, Q&A call with the Academy. And David said, well, I would help him do the dishes because that was my time to spend with him. That was my time to ask him what's going on. How's his day? If there's, you know, it was a kind of our one-on-one -on -one time. Whereas I looked at it as, oh, you're helping your poor 17-year-old kid that don't know how to do dishes, do the dishes. When in David's head, it was more of a bonding time with the yeah. kid. You know, because that was the one time he got them away from the phones, the TV, the computer games, whatever. And so again, our perception isn't always right and we need to yeah. step back and yeah, I probably could have addressed that with David, but it, I've learned to not let things um, take on more weight than I feel like they should. So for instance, when that would make me mad, I would get up and walk away and focus on something else it, rather than getting mad about it for 30 minutes. Because yeah, again, great. I'm in control of that. I can't control what David does with his kids but I can control how I let it affect me. Yes, exactly. Yes. And you know what? So There's power in that. I don't care what anybody says. Totally. Once you learn to keep your mouth shut, you'll sit there and be like, mm -hmm, I got this. I'm not even going to respond to you. You're not worth my energy. Yeah, no, that that's wonderful. And just to respond further to the, to the question, uh, you know, about giving everything up, uh, and like jumping in so deep with the stepkids and then realizing that you've hit a moment of burnout and you know, what do you do now? I, I think that part of what leads us there, we have to recognize that as women, we have a maternal instinct. 
and it plays out in many, many different ways. But our maternal instinct is invariably leading us in the wrong direction as stepmothers. Yes. And this is a huge problem for us on an evolutionary point of view. You know, as we're growing and maturing as individuals and as part of the human race, you know, learning how to deal with this maternal instinct that, that tells us how to take care of children. And it connects us to how we were raised ourselves and it connects us to other women in our community and it's part of our identity. It's huge. Our, mm -hmm. our, our drive to motherhood, whether it's with our own children or with mothering someone else's children, it drives us to act in a, a whole range of ways that, that connect with a motherly idea to us. And this is a wrong direction as a step parent. And it has nothing to do with how much you love those kids and how much they might love you, you know? So um, part of what I deal with in terms of helping people recover from stepmom burnout has to do with reconnecting with what you actually love to do and most specifically with your creativity. So that ah. is a piece of the puzzle of, you know, coming back from a situation of burnout and so I think that like that it's a it's the a correct direction to mm -hmm. pay attention to what you love to do and what feels nurturing for you and to um, put it in your schedule in a way that nothing else can override that, you know, that that's what that that time for you is absolutely necessary. You know, uh, I, and I know it's not easy I, to do because I'm sorry, I've dealt with that the busy schedule thing where I, you know, I just can't put something of myself in, but there has to be time for you to be um, in a kind of date night situation with your partner, whether that happens at a breakfast or an evening or whatever, you know, that has to be in on a weekly basis, time together and time for yourself at least once a week where you know that this is time for me and I'm going to reconnect with something that, that feels creative to me, whatever, whatever that might be. One thing that um, we did years and years ago, um, we took the stepkids and my son to a ceramic shop and we painted. Well, I loved it. And so for Christmas that year, David got me like a whole set, you know, and the paintbrushes, the little carrying thing, you know, some paints. And then I went to the little lady that we had went to and bought some things to paint. Y'all, I am not kidding. I could be slap in the middle of the chaos of five kids running around. We'll make that six because David liked to play too. And I could just sit there and paint away. And it was like I was in my own little world. And it was so refreshing. It was um, something that it's almost like it just took me away to that special place, you know, where I was doing something I enjoyed. It helped me not get wrapped up on the fact the kids were going crazy they actually, you know, would be like, oh, that looks good. So that made me feel good that the kids, you know, were like impressed with my ability to paint, which, um, you know, I would have never thought they would have told me anything good. And, you know, one of them, we've still got their things that they painted years ago. And one of them the other day said, I need to finish painting that castle. Well, I went and dug it out. And I'm like, it's here when you come home. You know, that way he has it when he's coming home. He's in Japan, you know, with the Air Force. So it'll be a while. But 
I felt it was important to go find that for him so he could know that, hey, it's here. We've got it for you. When you come awesome. home, I got all three. We're ready, you know. Awesome. So you do. So nice. Some people, it may even be, you know, journaling. It may be going to hang out with friends. It may be just sitting on the porch or anything that you can find to disconnect from the stress and something that you enjoy that makes you feel fulfilled. Exactly. Something that feels like it's filling up your cup because burnout is all about giving out more than you're getting back, right? That's you, you burn mm -hmm. out your resources. Um, and we need to, to do for ourselves to, to put back. And, um, and that's not on anybody else than you, you know, finally right. to, to make sure that you are getting what you need. That is your own responsibility. And so many of us are, well, we all live through a moment of life where we expect that to, to come from outside, you know, that other people should see that we're depleted and they should give us what, what we need. And, you know, once again, well, this is a, an, an incredible moment for us to grow as individuals and figure out how to, how to get what we need. Well, that's like, you can't expect other people to create your happiness. You, you know, you have to create it yourself. I see all the time, um, especially Christmas, Chris, holidays for families are horrible. It doesn't matter if it's Easter, Valentine's Day, everybody yeah. stresses out about it. And it's, well, they didn't do this or they didn't do that. Well, David will tell you for Christmas, I buy my own stuff. And I'll be like, this is what you got me. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's, I get what I want. There's no disappointment. There's no expectations from him. I mean, exactly. you know, make your own happiness. If it's your birthday, go buy a cake. Don't sit there and wait for somebody else to do these things. And by waiting for them, somebody else to do it, you're making yourself feel like crap. I do yeah. want to address the lady that said that she's been doing this for 11 years. Um, jumped it all was in. a long time, whatever it was, yeah. yeah. Um, what I would suggest with something like that is write down everything you do for those stepkids and then write down alternatives to those. And it may be where the stepkids could take over some of that responsibility. It could be where the um, bio parent needs to step up and take over that responsibility. Or it could even be that the child needs to go to a summer camp once a week to give you a break. So you've got to identify the things that you're doing for them and then with that list, identify the things that you can't stand to do for them, that it's causing the resentment. Then identify the triggers, you know, and then figure out what your options are. Um, I had a lady that said, I don't think this is nacho, but um, I think it's a good step. And I said, okay, well, what, what is it? The kids would use the towels. They would leave them in their floor in the room and it drove her nuts. Well, you know, nacho philosophy is ignore it. The thing is, though, it bothered her more to ignore it than it did for her to pick up the towel. So nachoing isn't necessarily just ignoring everything. It's weighing things and figuring out yeah. what works best for you. It works best for her to pick up that towel because she doesn't want it to get stinky and moldy. And that's mm -hmm. fine. That doesn't mean that she's not nachoing certain things. That It just means that that's one thing that she chose that she can't nacho and feel good about. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Well, we have tons and tons of comments. I'm really excited about the discussion that's mm -hmm. happening both in the 
um, in the group and on the public page. So Lori and I are going to go through those and make sure that, um, that you hear from us and you'll get our perspective on anything that you're typing in. Uh, but before I go, um, I just want to say that for those of you who may be finding us <clears throat> elsewhere um, on the internet, uh, we both have a Facebook group. My Facebook group is called The Spectacular Stepmom. And uh, Lori's Facebook group is called Nacho Kids. Yeah, right? Nacho Kids Blended Family Success. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Lori has a fantastic program called Nacho Kids Academy, which is um, much more of an um, intensive learning environment where you really get a lot more uh, support and trainings and information than what you can get on a, you know, on the regular Facebook group page. So we'll make sure that there's um, links for finding out more about that. And I, I really, really encourage you to participate in that because I, I love what Lori does. Lori's husband, David, who is an equally charming and entertaining person to listen to, you know, he's in there too. And that means that you can bring your partner along to, to watch these kind of trainings and live things that they do twice a month. And, you know, your partner can be in there getting support from a man uh, who is um, a, a dad and a stepdad. So I think that's incredibly valuable. Lori, thank you so much for being here. This was super fun. Awesome. We'll have to try to do this more often. I would love it. I would love it. Okay, we'll make it a thing. Okay. Thanks everybody for watching. And if you're watching on the replay, please put, you know, put your comments in and tag us and we'll, we'll come around and answer everything. Okay. Have a great day. Bye. That's all for this episode. If you liked what you heard here, don't forget to subscribe and you'll get a new podcast from me every Tuesday. I hang out with an amazing group of wise, funny, and infinitely supportive stepmoms at The Spectacular Stepmom, a closed Facebook group. Just shoot us a join request and be part of this lovely tribe. You can always reach me by email at info at